Hey all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up everyone? Rad Dad Brett here, bringing you another episode of the Rad Dads Show. I'm super stoked to bring you this interview with Scott Owen, bass player for one of my favorite bands ever. I'm talking about Australian rock and roll legends, The Living End. I managed to catch up with Scott to chat about parenthood and we covered so much. Scott has a blended family and we discussed some of the challenges and benefits of that situation. We also talked a lot about bonding. Scott's son has required numerous surgeries throughout his life for his leg, and Scott explored how that experience brought them closer in many ways. On the same topic of bonding, Scott also described how tackling a shared challenge has brought him closer to his own father in recent years. We also discussed Scott's new passion, creating mandalas, which are pieces of art created by starting at the center of a circle and creating patterns as you move towards the outside. We'll provide some photos and links on our social, so make sure to check them out. They're amazing. And of course, we heard what's next for The Living End, so you won't want to miss this one. Let's get to it. Here's Scott Owen from The Living End on The Rad Dads Show. So I'm going to start the way we always do and uh, ask you, who are you? Hi, well, I'm Scott. I am bass player, founding member of Australian rock band, The Living End, which formed in, I want to say like, I suppose, 96 or something like this, 95, 96. Um, we've released, I think, like seven or eight studio albums or something. Um, toured a lot, we've had, you know, a really good amount of success in Australia um, as far as charts and radio play and all that kind of stuff goes. So we've been able to do it for this long. Um, yeah. We actually we actually formed, me and Chris, the singer, the guitar player and singer formed when we were in high school because we've known each other since we were, since we were like little kids, like little, little kids. Um, yeah, so... That's uh, kind of who I am. I'm also a father of two children. I have a 16-year-old son. I have a 13-year-old daughter. And I live with my partner, Claire, and her children. She's got 12-year-old twins, a boy and a girl. Okay. So we've got a, yeah, we've got like a little Brady Bunch blended family here. Um, we've got two dogs and three chickens as well um, that we're parents to. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and we... Um, we, are yeah, it's good because sometimes we have all four children in the house. Sometimes we just have my kids. Sometimes we just have her kids yep. and sometimes we have no kids. So it's good. It's always, you know, it's always new. Every few days there's a kind of a new scenario. So. And teenagers. Cool. So lots of activity around your house. And yeah, also, yeah. So my son's 16, um, my daughter's just entered teenager, teenagerhood, yep. um, and yeah, the twins are the, t- the twins are twelve. So um, the twins are still in, I think you would call elementary school or, yep. or something. So they're in grade six, and the way our school system works is you go to elementary school until grade six, and then you go to, and that's when you're twelve years old, yep. which they are. Um, and then next year they'll go to high school, which will be from year seven all the way through to, to year 12. Okay. So that's like, that's like middle school and senior school, I suppose, for you guys. Yeah, yeah. We, um, it depends. We sometimes will say middle school. Sometimes we'll say junior high school. Um, yeah. So it depends how the school's set up. Some of them are, you know, seven to yeah, nine, exactly. seven to 10, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we've got them kind of at both ends, at the tipping, at the tipping point because... The twins are in in grade six. You know they're they're the they're the big kids of the of the little school. Right. My daughter's in year seven, and she's the little kid in the big school. And my son's, you know, like kind of, is heading into into doing his his you know last finals. He's heading into year eleven. Yeah. Wow. So he's doing his we call it VCE. Yeah. His you know his last final two years. So yeah, it's been like parenthood's. Yeah, it's changed so much in the last couple of years. And also, especially the fact that we've been basically locked down for the last two years. Yeah, has been ask you about super, that. It's been super weird because, um, you know, I think it's important for kids to feel like the big kids 
in the little school, you know, the elders, yep. the elders of their school and be surrounded by kids younger than them and feel like they're setting an example for the younger kids and to kind of feel that responsibility. And this is where I feel really sorry for the twins because um, they're called Miller and Dali, by the way. I don't like referring to them as the twins all the time. They're called Miller and Dali. Okay. Um, and I feel sorry for them because they've missed out on, on actually being on the campus and, you know, and, fe- and getting that feeling of, of being the big kids. I mean, there was some breaks in the lockdowns where they were able to be there, but the majority of the year has been spent at home. So okay. that's a shame. And also similarly for my daughter as well, her name's Ginger, and she's, you know, she's missed out on her on most of her first year of high school where a lot of connections are made, you right. know, like after primary school, kids go off to different high schools. And, um, yeah, and, and so socially it's, it's, it's a really important year for her. And she's, she's really suffered as a result of that. It's, it's um, you know, I can't, we, I, the, the end of the year can't come quickly enough yeah. for us. I think there's going to be some going back to school for her in this last term. Good. Because our, our year runs opposite to yours, obviously, because right. we're on opposite sides of the planet. Um, so we have our, you know, our summer break is coming up at the right. end of this last at the end of this last term of school that they're in. So, and then you know, she starts next year as, as a year eight student. So the end of the year can't come, you know, going back to school can't come quickly enough for us because. Yeah, for a teenager, for a young girl, a thirteen-year-old girl, to yeah. um, to to miss out on making all those social connections at this really, really ripe age of of you know adolescence and maturity and the beginning of high school um, is a real loss. And and she has uh, unfortunately she has you know she's starting to really suffer now in her mental health and and in her kind of mindset and well-being and all this kind of stuff my, my son on the other hand his name's harvey he's in in, in year 10 he's 16 years old yeah um he's a kind of pretty cruisy kid and and he's kind of breezed through it um pretty easily um so yeah it hasn't really taken much of a toll i think on, on him yeah i think the uh, the older kids like kind of that <coughs> teenager kind of age i think they're probably the ones hard, most hard hit by yeah. the restrictions, right? School from home, even like um, lots of schools here are in school, but even then everybody's kind of cohorted. So you have to stick with your class, um, mm. those masks and activities are limited and things like that. It's, I think it's really tough for those kids when, like you said, that yeah. social development is, is key yeah. at that time. It really is, and especially when we're already living in an age where they're, they're, our children's generation is the first generation to grow up with um, with yes. social media already established. You know, we had to we had to we remember life before it. Yeah, we, rem- we remember only human to human contact, or just ha- when telephones were just for talking. Yeah, actual <laughs> actual telephones. Um, so. Yeah, the fact that they've been and and you know and we all we don't need to go on about it. We all know how isolating um, social media can be when 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 used you know used for evil instead of good. Right. Um, so the fact that yeah, the actual human connection of kids at school has been has been sacrificed as well is just a bit of a it's just a bit of a potential recipe for disaster for a lot of people. I mean, we talk about how the pandemic has affected um, adults with, with their work, you know, with work and, and well and uh, livelihood and all that yep. kind of stuff. But I think the really big we'll we'll get through that. You know, we're adults. We'll we'll, we'll weather that. But um, yep. I think some of the, the the big issues that are going to drag out over the following years are going to be the repercussions that it's had on this generation of, of, of school kids. Um, and that's something that, yeah, I think the mental health world is, is well aware of and, and sort of, you know, doing its best to tackle. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, it's going to put a big, 
strain on mental health resources. And it's, I think it's going to put um, the mental health world in a position where it's got people doing jobs that they're not entirely qualified for, like counselling and yep. those kind of jobs that they're just going to have to be putting people who aren't totally qualified for the positions in those positions because of the demand. And, yeah, I don't know, I yeah. don't know what that means, but I guess. For sure. I mean, this is uncharted territory, right? Nobody knows really what what it's going to look like in the next yeah. year or two, even if we kind of do come through this and things kind of go back to normal, what are the impacts going to be to everybody who's been sort of, you know, locked down, um, isolated, yeah. those types of things. I've got little kids, two and five years old, and they kind of like, yeah. don't know any different. So they're, yeah, you know, exactly. I'm sure they'll bounce back just fine, but I think it's yeah. different when you're talking about, you know, high school kids. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Well, I guess, yeah, just hopefully the road out of it, you know. Yeah. There can just be a smooth a smooth landing and things to, for things to go back to pretty much normal next year. And it's it's just damage control, really, isn't it? I mean. Right. But, you know, look, I suppose, yeah, I guess, you know, we're here to talk about parenting and I guess <laughs> this, is an opp- this is an opportunity to step up as a parent and just, you, you know, you have to accept the fact that the pandemic's um, doing what it's doing and you just have to step up and think of ways to um, think of ways to manage it. And you so have how, to have really you, try and, how have you guys managed to do that? How, like, well, have you, I know the pandemic, that's one sort of um, byproduct, you know, whether it's positive or negative for some families, it's, it's, brought some families just physically closer together. Um, exactly. It's definitely, yeah. you know, like there's, there's, there is pros as well. And, I mean, you know, the, I love the mornings. I love not having to hustle to get kids up and, and ready, yep. lunches packed and off to school in the morning. I love the fact that they can just roll over in bed and open up their laptops and log on to their, to their class and that's yeah. it. They're, they're learning, they're at school, they're learning and deliver breakfast in bed to them. And, you know, you can spend a day, as much as I do moan and groan about it, you know, spend the day in the kitchen, making sure that there's good food prepared for them and all that kind of stuff throughout the day. I think that's kind of cool. That element of homeschooling is quite good. But um, as far as the social thing goes is, yeah, I mean, basically the, the, the only thing we can really do with the social thing is to encourage the kids to go and hang out with their friends at the parks and yep. things like that. And as I was saying before, we're in the fortunate situation where sometimes we've got four kids in the house. Sometimes we've got two, these, you know, my two, and sometimes we've got my partners too. So when we've got four kids in the house, that's great because there is a social yeah. connection between the, between the, the Brady bunch, we call it. <laughs> um, and and, you know, and when we've just got um, Claire's kids, it gives us an opportunity to to kind of, um, you know, do the things that they like. And then when we've got my kids, we've just we've got the opportunity to just do the things that they like. So, <clears throat> so that's, that's cool. But, um, yeah, like, the, I think that the toughest thing in the house at the moment is keeping kids off screens just limiting yeah the the use the use of devices because they're sitting in their beds in a you know half dark room on their computers with their phones next to them um you know and they're doing their work on their computers and sometimes using their phone for either research or <laughs> yeah talking to their friends or right. snapchatting or stuff like this it's a it's it's a lot of device use, um, yeah. and and then and then if they want downtime later in the day after school and at night time they want downtime where they're watching movies or gaming and things like this, that's when the hours of screen use per day starts to get up into just like frightening amounts. And as we know, you know, it's no mistake to anyone with with key that have kids that you know the more screen time kids have the less motivated they become to do other things and it's just a snowball so that's um 
So that's a big challenge is, is trying, to, trying to find that line between realising that the screens, you know, after school, that the screens are, are a good way for them to spend time. I mean, we've gone through winter where they can't really be outside doing right. much and there's just not that much else to do. I mean, how many jigsaw puzzles and crosswords <laughs> and, you know, how much, and also hanging out with your parents too sometimes right. is just boring, right? You've got yeah. to. You got to accept that. So yeah. So anyway, um, just trying to—that's one of the big challenges. Trying to trying to manage that. Um, but yeah, just finding things for them to do. Like like I said, we've got two dogs, so they're good. They need walks, which is cool. That gets us out of the house. Yeah. Um, you know, sending sending kids out to go and get things from the store is another right. <laughs> another good another good way to get them out of the house. Go down to the store and get me get me some uh, milk or get me some whatever and, and also get something for yourself as well right. is a little a good little incentive for them to get out and go for a walk. Um, and another one, you'll like this. Um, I and my daughter have both recently gotten back into skateboarding. Oh, okay. Yeah, we both just bought new boards, like within the last cool. new skateboards within the last month or something. I pulled this old... Caballero skateboard that I had um, that I got given to me for my 40th birthday six years ago. Yeah. That I that I've just used as a bit of a cruiser, you know, like to go down to the shops and stuff yep. like that. But about a month or six weeks ago or something, I got myself a new skateboard and I started skating at skate parks and and like really trying to to take it up again because I used to skate when I was a kid. Yeah. And my my daughter's kind of taken to it as well. So oh, that's cool. So we've been going and going to just car parks and finding nice, nice concrete surfaces that we can just go and cruise around on. And she's just, she's just learning. She's just once gone to come to the skate park with me. So, yeah, so that's become a, a cool thing for her. Yeah, exciting and as you head into summer holidays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's going to be a good activity for really you. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So this is a rad dad show. <laughs> Would you consider yourself a rad dad? Um, I think so. Yeah. If it's not, you know, if I, if, if, if it's not too kind of big headed to say, then, no, I'll yeah, celebrate I, it. you know, I, I, I certainly, that's certainly what I aim for. You know, I've got a, I play, I try, dogs are going crazy because someone just walked in the door. Um, yeah, it's, it's something I place a massive importance on, you know, like luckily the band has afforded me um, 25 years or whatever of, don't worry about it, 25 years of not having to hold down a day job. So, I mean, you know, touring commitments have been pretty hectic, pretty heavy over some yeah. of those years, but um, definitely eased off over the later ones. But um, it's meant that when I'm home, I'm you know I'm able to be home 24 seven. You know, right. I'm able to be there for school drop-offs and pickups, and you know before school, before the kids went to school when they were small, I was able to be home all day. And now you know, like have have that um, consistency in their lives where I can I can be there for them, you know, day in day out for long periods of time. So. Yeah, I've really tried to make the most of that and take advantage of that and be the most raddest dad possible. So you know, what are yeah. those what are those qualities of a rad dad? Like how how would how do you define that? You talk I mean I you talked that, about a, you know touring musician, that's there's one part yeah. of it, but what else? Well, yeah, I guess I guess the main thing, you know, it all falls under the umbrella of setting a good example for your kids. You know, sure. kids learn by by watching, not by being told. Like you know, what one thing that I find valuable in a valuable thing in parenting is someone said to me once is you don't remember what your parents said to you. You don't remember what they what the what the what language they use and what mm -hmm. words they use when you're being told off or when you're you know, in, in good times and bad times. You don't remember what was said. You just remember how it felt right. to be a kid, especially a little kid, you know. You just remember how it felt, like how, how comfortable you felt, how safe you felt and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's important is just, you know, like building an, a good world for your kids to be in rather than 
worrying too much about the language that you use and stuff like that. I think it's more about just, yeah, what sort of world you build for them. And I like, I like that you sort of talked about, because um, I'm, I'm trying to think whereabouts were you in your kind of career when you had children, when you first became a dad? Yeah, well, so it was early in the career, um, I suppose. We were sort of, my son was born in 2005, so there you go. Right, yeah, right around this time, right? (laughs) Yeah, I was touring a lot when my kids were born. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I was touring a lot, basically. I was coming home, I was probably touring at least 50% of the time. And I mean, yeah, the upshot of that was when I was home, I was home. But also when I was home, we, we were a pretty hard working band as far as when we had time off, we would, we would still um, we'd have a rehearsal room where we would go to each day and we'd yep. be working on new material and, you know, look, always, looking, always looking ahead to what the next album's going to look like and, and working on songs. So, so we even still worked pretty hard. It kind of was like holding down a day job when we were home, but it just happened to be that a day job was making music. And, right. Um, and that was cool. Other bands used to laugh at us and just go, man, why do you guys rehearse so much? <laughs> well, what else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was challenging being away for so much, so much of, the, of the, you know, small childhood. I know that when my daughter Ginger was born, she was only a couple of months old and, I went to, came to America and we made the album White Noise in New Jersey and then went to Atlanta to mix it. I was away for three months, you know, and I was away for, for three months of the first six months of her life, basically. Yeah. So that, that, was re- that was really challenging. But fortunately, like, you know, as the kids have gotten older um, and, and we've gotten older and, and, you know, we're turning more and more into, a, into an old, old farts band, um, the touring schedule became a lot more friendly on, right. on our time, you know. Uh, we weren't in, we're not in demand as much, you know. Well, and you, could probably, you probably can, <clears throat> um, you know, dictate when you're available to a little bit more than you used to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also we, we didn't have the success overseas that we did in Australia. I mean, we had a reasonable amount of success in the States and and Europe and, you know, Japan and a few other places, Europe and UK and yada, yada, but not to the degree that we did in Australia. And right. Australia doesn't have the population that, that you guys have, so we don't have to tour that. You know, tours aren't, aren't 50 cities, they're, they're five. Yeah, <laughs> yep. So it's just not as taxing. So it's kind of, yeah, it's worked out well. It's, you know, it's just amazing that we're still doing it. Like, that's that's what blows me away. But... um. But yeah, um, it's it's been it's been challenging, but it's just it's just it just tapered off as the kids got older, which by design is kind of perfect because your you know the demand on parenting becomes was was coming up while yep. the demand on touring was going down. So it's kind of been been perfect because now you know now that I've got teenagers, the demand on on parenting is is huge. Right. So when, when you are away and, you know, on tour, or you're making an album somewhere, like, how do you sort of, how do you deal with that? How do you manage that staying connected to home? It's probably a little bit easier nowadays than it used to be um, now with FaceTime. And yeah. Things like that. Yeah. Well, when my kids were born, born in, you know, 2005, I've begun um, Skype was what we used to use okay. to, to talk to people on the computer um, so that was cool. We had face-to-face um, communication on the on the computer, but yeah, it's gotten way easier now. You know, it was just FaceTime. The kids have got phones, and that's, right, that's, right. that's the that's the progression that it's made. But um, yeah, I mean, the way I coped was the fact that it was that I wasn't doing it alone. I had my bandmates, Chris and Andy, yep. in the in the same situation. Chris had kids, you know had his first kid only one year after mine, my first okay. kid. So um, we, we, we timed, it was kind of well-timed all together. We were both ready at the same point in our lives, given that we've grown up together. It's not unusual. Right. Um, so but that is good to have, yeah, be in a similar situation, right? Because I've, I've heard from other yeah. musicians too, where they're the first <clears> guy <throat> in the band to have kids and that creates yeah. a strain too. So 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it meant that we were, you know, that we were, both, we were always eye to eye on how much time we wanted to spend right. away from our kids. So, so that's how we did it. You know, that, that's how we that's how we kind of survived it. You know, we all just kind of kind of helped each other out. You know, whenever one of us was having a hard time with missing home or had issues going on at home with the the kids or whatever, um, yeah, we had each other to to kind of hold each other up. Nice with that which was good yeah because it, it really was I, I think about it much but looking back on it yeah there was there was some pretty difficult times of going man I wish we could just go home yeah but you know but also living the dream as well it's such a big conflict of interest and then it gives you you know like you said it gives you that opportunity when you are home to just be home as yeah, well exactly. so there's that, that trade-off was- that was always the trade-off, yeah, because when you're at home, you've got all the time in the world for your children, which is fabulous. Like, it's such an amazing, that, that's such a great thing yeah. to be able to have those. You know, I, I remember going home and seeing my friends who had nine-to-five sort of jobs and, you know, friends that wouldn't get home until just before their kids were going to bed and then they're tired on the weekends and that's the only time they have with them and, that used to just sound, seem really, really hectic to me. You know, I, I, I definitely wouldn't, given the choice, I wouldn't trade it. I'd definitely like to do it the, the you know, like the, the like the minor, the mi- miners or whatever, you know, the fly in, fly out jobs yep. and stuff. I'd rather do it that way than just the, the nine to five grind, the week in, week out grind. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough for sure. Day in, day um, out. So what was the, like, what was the transition like for you from Scott with no children to now Scott, the dad, how did that transition go? Did, were you, did you have fears about becoming a parent? You know, how did you sort of weather that change in your life? Not really. I didn't really fear it. I was really looking forward to it. It um, Yeah, I was, I guess I was just, I just was, I was always kind of ready for it. I just, it was always inevitable that I was going to be a family man. Like I always felt. It was part of the plan. Yeah, that that was just the normal thing to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. the way I grew grew up, my family were really close. My family have always been really close. And we grew up, you know, out, out in the, in the walls of suburbia in, in you know in kind of safe suburbs of mm-hmm. just like-minded families and stuff like that so have a pretty kind of traditional um traditional view of, of families and it just kind of felt like the normal thing to do it wasn't something and i also am the youngest of three children too okay so i'd seen my older brother and sister um, start families as well and so you know that it just just felt like the normal thing to do there was no no fear it was all just it was all just epic I did have there was a hiccup when my son was born he was born with a condition where one leg was shorter than the other and that was oh, weird. Wow. like in the first in the first well in the first minutes of his life I'll tell you a story it's um in the first minutes of his life when he was being weighed on the scales in the delivery room, we noticed that one of the um, toes on his foot was rather than growing where it should, it grew on top of his foot. It didn't have a bone in it. It was just just like a skin flap. Okay. And the um, pediatrician in the in the delivery room was saying, "Look, what do you want to do about that? That's there's no toe in there. That's just skin." <coughs> And I was saying, well, I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not medical. What do you think I should do? Yeah. I saying, I think we should just cut it off. But you're the one who needs to make the decision. And, you know, like wow. in, in, all, the, in all the emotion of, of first child being born, within minutes having to make a decision like that was heavy. And so they did. They tied a piece of string around it and cut it off with a pair of scissors. And it was like, what are you doing to my baby? Um, yeah, oh, my God. So, this, this is so weird. Um, and then in the first few days of his life, change, putting um, nappies on him, it always felt like there was something, it always just looked and felt a little bit weird with his legs. And then anyway, so after a few days, I asked the pediatrician, you know, what's going on here? I feel like I'm putting the nappy on sideways or wrong or something. There seems to be something that doesn't look right here. And anyway, 
as it turns out, he noticed that there was a slight difference in the length of his legs. So we then had to start um, a relationship with a, with a pediatric surgeon, yep. orthopedic orthopedic pediatrician. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, to cut a long story short, over the last 16 years, my son has had three operations to lengthen his left leg. Wow. If we didn't do anything about it, there would have been a difference of um, 15 centimetres, which is six inches. Right. There would have been a difference of six inches in the length of his, of his legs. His leg would have been six inches shorter than the other. So each time there's been um, lengthening done of two inches each okay. um, in, his, in his bones. So he's had to have these giant apparatuses attached to his leg and the bone right. broken and, and slowly wrenched. Oh, my goodness. Millimeter by millimeter over mark. These hectic um, procedures. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's been weird. He's actually just yeah. having his last, he's had his last operation a couple of weeks ago. He's on practice now. Oh, wow. Because he had to just have a little plate put in his, in his leg, which is like nothing compared to what he's been through. He's had all of this, all of this framework done on his leg. But more or less so, should, should be sort of, that's mostly done now. Like it's. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the difference between the length of his legs is only, is only very, very small now. And um, yeah, it's been really successful. Oh, that's I mean, great. It's, it's, it's still, you know, it's still a little bit of an issue for him. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that put a, that's put a, that's put an interesting spin on, on parenthood as well, because I've had to, with him, so, so basically they put a frame on his leg Yep. and break the bone, so break, whether it's his femur or his tibia or fibula, um, break the bone and then the frame by, by turning these screws on it slowly pulls the bones apart from each other and then the bone grows back in the middle to meet each other yeah. and they do it, you know, they do it for like this far and then lock the frame into place and all that new bone that's growing back in the middle hardens up and yep. ta-da, you've got an extra few centimetres length in your leg. But while that is happening, and we're talking about, you know, a four or five-year-old kid and a yeah. seven or eight-year-old eight kid and then a 10 or 11-year-old kid, like all the different operations that he's had, while the bone is being lengthened by the, by the apparatus attached yeah. to his leg, <clears throat> and mind you, these apparatuses is a big frame and then they've got bolts going into through the skin into his bones. Right. Um, so there's all these pin sites, they're called, which are just like big ga ga gaping open wounds with, with bits of steel going into them. So I basically had to become a nurse to be able to care for those, right. care for those wounds and clean them and dress them and all this kind of stuff, but also become a physio as well because while the apparatus is able to lengthen the leg, um, lengthen the bone, physio needed to be done to lengthen the muscles and tendons and ligaments right. around those bones and joints in his knees and ankles and and stuff like that and so so i've had to spend a lot of time putting my son through pain basically right like he, it's, oh my it's almost yeah it's almost like medieval what i've had to do to this kid you know like put this apparatus on and crank it up and make the, yeah. the leg longer and stretch it and then and then stretch his muscles and stuff while he's been having to be dosed up on, on some hardcore pain relief and stuff like this. And the reason I'm telling this story is because what it's, it, it's, put, a, it's put a bit of a spin on parenthood for, my, for, for, for me and, and my son. And he's the most incredibly, as a result of this, we have an incredible relationship yeah, with each I other. Bet. And it's, what it did was it taught me compassion as well it taught me to just to just have to be with him when he's going through this pain as a child right. to just be not try and intellectualize it not try and not try and um not try and do anything other than just just be there with him and right. share it with him and just only only show compassion for him and you um, almost like as a parent you like it's a weird thing, but you almost do feel your child's pain. Like yeah, when, you, yeah, yeah. when they're suffering, you are suffering, yeah. right? So 
Exactly. If you could, if you could take it away from suck it out of them, yes. take it upon yourself, you would do it in a heartbeat. It's, it's so difficult to, um, to watch, but yeah, but so it's taught me a lot as a parent mm -hmm. to, to have to go through that and to just be 100% compassionate, but it's also taught him a lot in life as well about, you know, about accepting pain for starters and just being able to tolerate things. It's made him the most, it's given him this, this incredible outlook on life. And yeah, he's a really unique, really unique boy. Isn't it amazing? Like these kind of silver linings that obviously if you could take it back and have had him not had to go through any of that, you would in mm -hmm. a second, but these yeah. little sort of almost silver linings that come out of situations like that, that, you know, these yeah, positive exactly. things you take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And just, and just things like his like having to take him to the, the, the local children's hospital in the city often, you know, yep. having to be there a lot and his exposure to kids with terminal illnesses and things yeah. like that, you know, and mine too, my exposure to it. But um, it's really profound to be exposed to that and for him to go, well, at least all my problem is, is just like, you know, it's almost like a carpentry issue on my leg. <laughs> right. It can, right. It can be fixed. It's not, you know, it's not terminal. It's not, it's not what he's seeing at the hospital in other kids. So yeah, that's put a pretty, pretty amazing perspective on life for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. What are, and, and such a sort of long-term journey you've gone through together <laughs> yeah, exactly. to deal with that, like continuing up till now, obviously. No, it's still continuing. Yeah. It's still yeah. Happening. It's, yeah so much at the end of it now, because he's finished growing now. So yeah. Yeah. And you, so you kind of mentioned um, you had a really close relationship with your family um growing up are you able to talk about what your relationship was is like with your dad how that's kind of impacted you as a parent yeah my my relationship with my dad's always been been really good um we've been pretty oh you know I'd, I, I would say that we could call each other really good friends you know like we've been really good mates cool. over the years <laughs> and it just got even stronger over the last few years because for we're both pretty big drinkers. Um, and over the, uh, about four years ago, I stopped drinking um, completely and haven't drank since. Congratulations. And yeah, thanks. And he did the same not long afterwards okay. as well. Yeah, at, you know, at the age of like 70, in his late 70s, yeah, basically. And, and he, was, he said to me, that it was just a couple of weeks ago, actually, that he said to me that he wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for me wow. doing it. And I thought, oh, wow, that's feels, that feels really beautiful to hear that. That's quite, quite special. But, um, but yeah, so we've, so we've had a, a relationship that was really close and, but there was a fair bit of drinking involved. Like, yep. um, yeah, but now it's, now it's kind of taken on a, a new, our relationship has taken on a much more sort of deeper and more meaningful um, existence because, because both of us are, are completely sober all the time and not that many people around us are. Right, that's many so other people amazing. around us are. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, so like Australia, Australia is similar to, I think, Canada in that way. Like we, it's a quite a big drinking culture, right? So it must have yeah. been, been difficult. It's interesting to hear you say that your dad, you know, kind of maybe would have never even considered it, it had you not gone that direction. Yeah. So what a, a amazing kind of bond you have over that shared experience too. Yeah, 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 exactly. I know to have a to have a whole new, big, deep and meaningful connection with my father at this age, you know, yeah. like at this point in life, I feel really fortunate. I'm really grateful for it. Um, yeah, because I don't know, like, I don't know how many years we've got, we've got left together. Right. So the fact that um, it's going to, it's going to make it a lot easier to say goodbye when the time comes, knowing that there's been a really meaningful connection at this point in life. So yeah, I just can't even begin to say how grateful I am for it. It's always neat to see those sorts of things um, and, and to hear those stories as we get kind of, kind of later in life, I, I just find it so interesting because we kind of think of our parents as like the people who bring us up, but what does that relationship look like going into the future as we're adults and, 
Yeah, that's right. I, I just find it totally fascinating for sure. Um, and I kind of, you know, kind of makes me think about my own situation a little bit. My, my mom passed away last year and right. as you know, that obviously terrible situation, but it's brought me and my dad a lot closer and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of help develop that friendship side of things too. And that, that bond in that way. And, um, yeah, it yeah, is a really yeah. amazing thing. I'm very grateful for as well, you know, to have that yeah. relationship. Yeah, it's, it really is. An, it's an interesting study, isn't it? Like the mm-hmm. dynamics of family and how it changes so much. Or just, I guess it's more about age, as much about aging as it is about family and how, how it all changes so much over the course of, of, of a life. Because I, I find it totally fascinating because, you know, yeah, we are, we are the seeds of our parents and then we leave seeds for our, our kids as well. Yeah. And I, you know, and, the, and when there's this, there's all the complexity of genetics, the genetics that are involved there, it, it is such a, it is such a rich subject and to, and, and that we're all experiencing yeah. <laughs> where everybody, there's not a single person in the world who's not experiencing this beautiful thing that is, you know, the, the, the growing of the seed, the passing yeah. on of the seed. It's, it's, it's fabulous. I mean, there's people who don't have kids, but oh, it's just such a rich, such a rich thing. Everybody's right. got parents. There's right. Everybody's got parents. Doesn't have parents. Not yet. Anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who <laughs> knows? Wonder, yeah. yeah. The scientists yeah. have been busy over the last couple of years for sure. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah, that's such an amazing story. What I, I, I want to, I know we're kind of, we're getting close. So I want to give you an opportunity to chat about what's next for Scott Owen. What are you up to these days? I know um, you've yeah. taken on an interesting sort of different hobby. I'll say hobby over the last few years. And I maybe want to give you a chance to talk about that in addition to anything maybe going on with the band. And, and I know you've got a new band as well. Yeah, well, I've been, over the last couple of years, I've been drawing these mandalas. If anyone, I'll plug them. If anyone wants to check them out, I've got a, um, a site called scottowenmandalas.com where you can buy them. Um, and they're just these drawings that I do. I just basically start in the middle and just keep drawing, drawing. They're these big round kind of geometrical um, drawings, but I don't use any kind of measuring tools. I don't use a compass or anything. I okay. Just all, all, it's all just hand to eye. And they end up, you know, being like quite large pieces. So, and they look round and they look perfectly geometrical from a distance. But when you actually have a closer look, there's lots of, there's lots of imperfection in there. And that's what I love about them. There's like this kind of, you know, perfectly imperfect is the words is the phrase that I like to use to describe it but so that's been unreal because it's there's there's over a hundred hours that goes into one of these pieces so there's it's a really therapeutic thing they're absolutely amazing like I I love the mindset that I get into while I'm drawing them so Um, it's it's kind of like a almost a therapeutic sort of process to yeah, go through a tra- like I don't know, is it like transcendental yeah. or something like that? Totally, totally. Yeah. Just every, you know, without going into it too deeply, I could really bang on about it. But like, just the the polar. I love the polarity of having a white piece of paper and yep. putting a black mark on it, mm-hmm. and either making it a, you know, and there's no there's no direction in these drawings. I'm just literally just doodling. Basically, it's just a really well organized doodling on a page. But that's what it is. It's all organising because I'll find that it starts to become out of whack on this side. So the next layer, I need to fix that by adjusting that. Yeah. And if I do something here, it's got to be done the whole way around. It's basically like a massive organisation. That's what it is. It's just continuously organising this thing and it just emerges. It's amazing right. to me to hear you say you yeah. don't use any tools to support you doing that because like I they're very intricate. Yeah, they're yeah, very that, large. I know. And they look- that's the thing. Like, Yeah. They look know, very it's circular. It surprises me how symmetrical they become, yeah. actually. But, but it just all happens so slowly. Yeah, so anyway, I've been doing that, and that's something that people can check out. I have also started playing, I've done a, bit, a little bit of recording last year um, with these um, guys who live up in New South Wales, and we've got a band that we're going to call Give Me the Fringe. 
are going to be called. Um, we did, but we managed to get one show in, but obviously COVID restrictions have just made it near impossible right. to start a, a band long distance. Um, but that's really that that's really exciting. There's a um, but it's just another a three piece with a drummer and a, a guitar player, and they're both amazing musicians. And the um, guitar player who writes the songs is is just an incredible artist. He's he's a really really great guitarist, great singer, and great songwriter and composer. So that's going to be really interesting. I can't wait to get the ball rolling on that. Um, the other things that have kept me busy though are obviously I've taken up skateboarding recently. Right. Um, I'm really into fitness. Um, I, I run um, a lot and uh, yeah, that's, that's a big part of my life. Um, I'm really into Tai Chi. I'm actually wearing my branch of Tai Chi's merch. Like, oh, nice. Like, like, like bands that I like, uh, Tai Chi's actually got really good merch. It's epic. Oh, cool. But Tai Chi is something that I've gotten deeply into over the last couple of years. I absolutely love it. It's another thing that it's another conversation for another day because it's one of those things that I could really, really just talk about forever because it's it's just so incredibly valuable on so many levels. Yeah, we'll have to do um, part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess kind of those are the kind of things that have been keeping me busy. I've just started, I've just developed a bit of a thirst for learning to read music and starting to become to understand music on a theoretical level because I've always just been a, a self-taught yep. punk rocker. Um, I've got a bit of a hunger at the moment to go and learn music, so I'm thinking about going and doing some study. So that might be the next chapter, I think. Very cool. Yeah. And what about The Living End? You guys... Um... I know managed to sneak in a couple shows, you know, a few months ago yeah. kind of thing. And obviously nothing kind of on the immediate horizon. Any other plans? Yeah, we've got a couple of shows booked before the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully they can go ahead. And we've got a bunch of shows that were shelved when the pandemic hit in whenever it was, February or March last year. They're all scheduled to happen the next year, the follow next year in February, March, and April, and stuff like that. So hopefully, yeah, it's it's basically just back to business come next year. Um, promoters are confident, the government's confident that it's yeah. that, that things are just going to happen again. That the vaccinations, the answer to the music industry's prayers. So yeah, we yeah, wait and see. Uh, we were, we were starting to work on new material when the pandemic hit as well. Chris had written okay. a bunch of songs and we'd started working on them. Um, he's released, a, about to release, but he's worked on a, a solo album in the meantime as well. So that's something that people should be keeping their eye out for as well is Chris's solo record because it's okay. epic. It's, it's epic. It's really, really good. Yeah, I saw he was doing some shows, kind of some solo yeah. shows. So he's, he's done a bunch of shows with a really really smoking band like awesome. i i i describe it to people as a little bit like like bruce springsteen and the e street band it's it's really good okay it's really worth it's really worth checking Setting out. the bar high there yes yeah. absolutely yeah totally um yeah willingly and knowingly said yeah high, yes. okay um awesome. Yeah. So anyway, so that's that, that's that. But yeah. So I don't know. I guess we'll we'll pick up the ball sometime in the future on on some new material and keep making records and keep doing what we've always done. Good. There's still plenty of wind in our sails. That's great to hear. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today, Scott. And any um, parting comments or words of wisdom or advice for dads out there or maybe dads to be who might be listening. Um. Oh God. Put you on the spot here. Plenty, plenty, yeah. But I'll just go back. I'll just go back and say what I said before, because I think it's the one thing that's been really important to me. Well, two things actually. One is what I said before is that I don't think it's important what you say to children. Don't just, you know? You don't need to keep talking and talking and talking to them about about stuff. It's more important how, whether they just whether, how it feels for them to be a kid. And you can look back on your childhood and, mm -hmm. and 
can't remember the words, but you can remember what it felt like to be a kid. And that's the most important thing. I reckon there's, you know, that you can, you can find a lot of, you can find a lot of good, a lot of tools and things in there with that perspective. Um, and the other thing is what I'm realizing now is that how important it is that, that when just the natural, just how, how, how growth and development happens, kids, they really do need you to, you know, wipe their bums and put food in their mouths and stuff right. up until a certain point. But once they start to hit that point of teenagerhood and they start to realise that they can do that on their own and that they can, um, that they can discover things on their own and that when it's time to step back, you have to accept the fact that it's time right. to step back. Because I know that so I just, you know, being judgmental, I see some of the parents of, you know, that have kids the same age as mine that are trying to hang on a little bit too tight. And I can feel myself doing it as well sometimes. Right. And I think it's really, really important to just step back and 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 let that let that that chasm appear, you know, let yeah. it happen, let it let it go, let it let it um, exist between you and your child because. Because it will always, you know, you'll always be able to fill it up again. Right. Um, it'll always come back. But I think you can't, you, you just can't resist that. Anyway, maybe I'm trying to offer that um, advice to people, but I'm really saying it for my, <laughs> to try and, to try and um, impose it upon myself. But well, yeah, look at the, look at the story you shared about your dad, right? And exactly. you, you still have those opportunities as you, you know, your kids become their own person but that's that's right you never will always be there as your, their parent it's never it's never too late for your relationship with your parent or with your child to evolve to the right. next level it's, it's always happening if, you, if you're open to it well that's awesome i again thank you so much for your time today it's been really great chatting with you really great to meet you thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure to meet you too i really admire what you're doing with the rad dads organization i just think it's really cool so well done awesome well thank you so much all right that was scott owen on the rad dad show thank you so much scott for joining us and thank you for listening if you like this episode it would mean a lot to us if you drop us a review on itunes and if you're looking for more rad dads content find us wherever you get your podcasts or give us a follow on social media on Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show, and on Facebook and Twitter at at rad dads show. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well, including this one. Lastly, Rad Dads is first and foremost a community organization aimed at positive parenting, and you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.